Jack Webb. Oh my God, it's like three weeks in a row. Jordan, what's up, buddy? You know, snowy Chicago. Is it? Oh yeah. It looks I like just a, got back from snowy Vermont. Looks like a snow globe. I don't know if you can see that though. Window, it's just oh, white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got away with it. Nice, uh, easy winter up until now. But now it's turning. But it's okay. I'm just in the house, working my way through a bad haircut, eating some creatine gummies. You know. No, looking sharp, dude. Looking sharp. All right. I'll, I'll take that. I appreciate that. The support. I just got back yesterday from a week at the first of two big snow tiny comps for me, the one up in Vermont. Um, that was a lot of fun. Really good group. That one, unlike the other one, th this one is we usually mix it up with a few different people mixed with returning folks. So it was a it was a fun mix. Really good trip. It's always good to like get away and and dig into other people's businesses for, for a week and of course get some feedback on on mine and and I got three days of snowboarding in so it was a good time. Nice. You got your workout routine ironed out after after uh, talking to everybody. Yes. This year I don't know if it's like our age we're all sort of getting a little bit older so we're all like super uh, health focused now like a lot more than before. So like it's turning into like half, the, at least half the trip, just talking about workout routines and how much protein we're eating and what apps we're using to track our health and all this different shit. And then, and then we find the time to maybe talk about our businesses a little bit. Yeah, that's good. You got to mix it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't kidding about the creatine gummies. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've been eating them for about a month and feel amazing. Actually, if I'm going to be entirely honest, I feel like so energetic. I'm, I'm never tired and I haven't been sick in, I don't even know, months. I got to look into this. I gotta, there's so many things on my, on my list of uh, health to do's to go along with actual work to do's this week. But that, that's the thing is like, now I'm home today and then next week. And then I go away again to Colorado for, for big snow number two. And so I'm just in crunch time, man. I'm, yeah, I've been stressful? in crunch time this whole, this whole quarter because we're, we're building so much and we're trying to launch so much in the next few months. And man, it, it just feels like a crunch and I'm just trying to ship and it's not just features. We are shipping some major features, ho hopefully one of them this week before I go away again. But in addition to that, there's like three other big things going on. And I got to make sure that the people I'm working with have stuff to do. And it's just a lot going on. Okay. I'm sure the weeks feel short when you're traveling. Yeah, they literally are short. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm heading to LA next week for like an e-commerce event that we're sponsoring. We found this group called Retail Summits, and they just do a really good job with these relatively small events, like 150, 200 people. It's much better environment for actual business and networking than like a you know 5,000 person thing. They have found a way to curate the e-commerce world outside of Shopify, which is tough for us to find. So we just kind of gel with them. We sponsor yeah, is that, do you find that like every e-commerce conference or whatever it is, like community, it's just so Shopify focused? Yes. They're either, or or they're like either, there's just a high percentage of Shopify people in there? It's either that it's really Shopify focused or it's super enterprise. And then it's like, you know, it's cool that the director of e-commerce from some Fortune 500 company is sitting on the stage talking, but who cares, you know, beyond it just being interesting. So yeah, heading to LA with Sam and Jessica. So two other people from the team and yeah, we'll see what we can do over there. We had a really successful event in Nashville with this group 
So now LA is the first one that we're sponsoring. And then we're doing four others throughout the year, like one in England, another one in oh, Chicago. Oh, you're a sponsor on this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like a reasonable uh, cost on sponsorship and gets us into like live events. So this is like our, this is our bet, our investment in live events other than like attending, you know, a, a few of them throughout the year. Yeah. So what do you get as a sponsor? What, what happens? So you get, I personally think the lanyard sponsorship of any event is the best bang for your buck. So logo on the lanyard. Well, yes. And then everyone walks around with your logo all day. Uh, for some reason, these events don't make that expensive and it always ends up being like pretty cheap. And I just identify that as like a great ratio of cost to value. Do you get on stage at all as a sponsor? Uh, you can. I am getting on stage through a bit of a coincidence where one of their moderators on a panel had to drop out. So I'm moderating a panel. But, you know, That's stage time better. is good. That's even better to get on stage not as a sponsor. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then you get a lot of information about the people going. So you get a lot of information about who's going ahead of time. So you can reach out to them and say, hey, can we, you want to meet the day before? Can we take you to lunch type of thing? And then you get basically any information you want after. To say, hey, I met someone at this company and they'll give you all the information so you can reach out to them. It's pretty good overall. I had a killer week, man. I feel amazing. It was one of those weeks that like, so my general sense, maybe I talked about this last week, I'm not sure, just feels like things are just like go time right now. It's intense. It feels like, you know, it's January and it's not the first week where everything's disorganized. It really feels like we're settling into like Q1 and I don't have to think about fundraising anymore. So I'm not spending my time on investor convos and I feel like I'm back, like I can focus. And that feels really good. And, and there were just some things that like needed to get sorted and, and like one thing after another just kind of worked out in our favor. So we launched our biggest merchant ever this week, which was phenomenal and just like bumped up the GMV significantly. So everyone kind of like feels buoyed by that. And we had this, I would say relatively tense negotiation with one of our biggest partners. And we wanted some things to change and they wanted some things to change. And we just kind of needed to like get through that and hammer it out. And that got finished this morning. And it got finished in a, what I think is very fair. And like, we're, we're happy about it, which helps us move forward and helps the business grow like with the partnership. So that's great. And then one of our hypotheses that we've been working on, we tested this week and it's coming back very positive. So the competition, Bolt and Fast, over the last year, they, they set the expectation in people's minds in the market that checkout and fraud and chargeback protection all go together. You know, from cardhook days, we just approached it as a separate thing. And we assumed, yeah, sure, if you have fraud protection, we'll just integrate with them and no big deal. And you can continue to use them. But people start to think about it like, no, I just want to pay you and just get both done and not think about it. So we looked around for a partner on the fraud front and got into an agreement with one of them and then went out to our customer base and said, hey, do you want to buy this as a bundle? And a bunch of people came back and said yes. So now we're looking at that and as we're redoing our site and looking at our pricing page, we're thinking through how do we use that bundle, not just to make sure people know that we offer it, but ideally allow it to pull our overall pricing upward. 
Actually, I wanted to ask you about that, like just pricing in general. We've talked about it so many times in the past, but how are you thinking about it today? I mean, it sounds like you're you're rethinking pricing at least a little bit around the edges, right? Like, what do you? I'm curious to know, like, how do you think about landing on a on an actual price point? Like, literally, how much to charge for the different tiers or whatever transaction fee? Like, what? Like, just deciding on that number. You know, because like I think I mentioned before, like we're we're planning a pricing change this year, like a, a significant one, different structure and everything. And the structure has been more or less set in terms of what's changing, but the actual dollar amounts has been in flux in in my mind in the last few okay. weeks. It's yeah, it's really hard to settle on, right? As we all know, and and we all know going into it, oh, you should experiment with it regularly. It's also not easy to experiment with it regularly, <laughs> so you you do like want to get it right. I think the first thing is to just look at your like limitations and parameters kind of thing. At least for us on the low end, we have our revenue share. So one of the things we're doing differently at Rally that we did at Cardhook is with Chop, we had no relationship with Shopify. We hated each other. You know, it was like a negative relationship. It wasn't even like a, the absence of a relationship. It was it was like actively negative. But we also didn't have any revenue share relationship because we weren't allowed in the app store. And so what that meant was we had no floor. There is no pricing beyond which we're losing money because of the rev share. At Rally, we're trying to form strong relationships with the platforms that we work with. And so the rev share that we kick back to the platform is our floor, <laughs> right? If we go below that, we lose money and you don't want negative margins. So that's like an easy limit on that side. And then we look at our more mature competitor in Bolt. And we see their pricing as a bit of a ceiling. I, I definitely have no problem being higher priced, but we hear a lot from merchants that they are egregiously priced. And when I look at that, and then I look at our financial model, right, then that, that extra factor in the calculations, if I look at our projections and I look at their pricing, it's like, it's not even necessary for us to price that way and us to still do really, really well. That is where I, I look to first when I start to think about pricing is like, first of all, who exactly am I defining as direct competitors? You know, that changes as, as we're repositioning and, and looking at a different space now, like we, we think about different competitors and what they're charging. But more important than that, I think it's talking to customers. And I always ask, like always, always ask like, A, like which tools are you currently using and what exactly are you paying for those tools right now? But it's like, not just like, what's the answer to that? It's like, what's your feeling on how much you're paying for the, those tools? You know, like, because like what you're saying is with Bolt, like, yeah, your your customers and your potential customers might be Bolt customers or were Bolt customers. But like, just because they paid it or considered it doesn't mean like they're okay. Like, you're, you know, you're sensing they're actually pushing it on price. So... And that you know, feels but like, but like my my sense from talking to customers in and what they're paying for our handful of competitors, they just kind of rattle it off like yeah we're on the, their middle tier or their upper tier and like that's kind of what I expect in this space and and so like that gives me a sense of like all right as long as we're right in the same ballpark right right like okay they don't seem to have much issue with paying call it a hundred bucks a month and they're like yeah that's an important part of my business and I'm okay paying a hundred bucks one hundred fifty bucks a month eighty bucks whatever that is. So I, I also look at like the value metric and the pricing mechanism. So one of the most important things we did at Cardhook was introduce a transaction fee. 
right? It started off at a hundred bucks a month. And then it was pretty obvious that we should bring that up. And then it went up to 300 bucks a month. And that was great. And that, that meant every new customer added 300 bucks a month. And that was good. But we started to realize that we're in a GMV game. We're in a transaction payments game. We shouldn't be looking at it as a subscription. And at some point, we added a transaction fee of 50 basis points. And that was like on existing customers. So it was a very large price increase. We went through this process, and I've talked about this on podcasts. I, I was talking to Rob Wong about this recently because I think we watched someone else go through a pricing exercise that wasn't successful. And then he kind of like sent me an email that he he talked with the tiny seed companies as like, listen to this podcast. And Jordan explains how they did the price increase because we were, honestly, we were so scared to screw it up. So I think that's part of why we did such a good job because we were we were really worried about getting it wrong. So we we did this thing where we announce the price change and increase, and then announce it six months ahead of time. And in e-commerce, you make all your money in Q4. So we announced it in like June or July and said it's going into effect in January. So like, we're not going to mess with your holidays because that feels like piggish. And that really worked. And then we also promised here are the features that we're going to add between now and then to justify this increase. And then in January, when we did it, we were able to say, here's what we promised. Here's what we delivered. You did great over the holidays. Now let's do great together. And that that changed, that changed the company. Planning the rollout and how it affects existing customers and the, the timing of their pricing and then new customers and all that. But like that's being worked out too. But the, actually getting back to the transaction fee, because that's another interesting piece of, of pricing for some products. And we're going to be introducing that this year when we launch. We are building payments as a thing in, in our product. You know, like what can we learn from from the Gumroad fiasco a few weeks ago, right? Tell me what you think about this because I I'm starting to get the sense that like products that have a payments piece and charge some form of a transaction fee, would it be wrong to to think about it like you shouldn't think about making your money on the transaction fee? You will make money on the transaction fee, but the payments and transactions are like a feature in in a product. Make your money on the on the product fee, because it's just a, a race to the bottom on price. Like you can't just like add transaction fee points without getting pricing pushback, as we saw with Gumroad. And like the standard in everybody's mind is 3%. That's like the traditional credit card processing costs yes. 3%. Yeah, like the, the yep, world yep. knows that. Yes. Right. So, For so now. then it's like, what are you going to charge on top of that without, Without, without it coming off, like you're just off. you're just pulling profit off of it. Yes, right? it's 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 a big problem. I cannot agree with you that the case is you shouldn't look to transactions to make your money. The number one company to look at is Shopify. They started off as a software product, making their money on subscriptions, and then they started their partnership with Stripe and Shopify Payments, and pretty quickly their transaction revenue overtook their subscription revenue. And now they are like, I don't even know, it's like 60 or 65% transaction fees. And they are no longer a SaaS company in this, in the traditional sense. They're a payments company who takes a percentage of transactions. Well, I don't even know what Shopify's prices are, but I'm, what I mean is yes, transaction fees will, will make up the bulk of your revenue, but the assumption is you're, you're in high volume land, high volume of transactions, high volume of customers. If you're in a 
low to medium volume of customers, if you're a bootstrapped company kind of starting up, like you can't expect to get profitable just by adding transaction fee points to your pricing page. Like I, that, I think that's going, like the transaction fee still needs to still needs to be low or read low to customers when they're looking at your pricing page. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like 10% transaction fee seems insane. Yeah, too high. It's too you know? high. Yeah. Uh, ours is literally in the tens of basis points, right? Fraction of a percent. Because e-commerce, physical product, you don't have much margin, all this other stuff. So you can yeah. do so, more. So I mean product. the game there is volume, right? But like our game is volume because we have to be able to flex up. Right, the, the way we got into a position at Kartik where we were adding $40,000 a month in MRR was because our customers were flying and they were doing great and there was no friction to our revenue growth along with them. The difficulty in the digital product space is that because it's so crowded, you cannot have a transaction fee that stands out too much. Because that you have so many other competitors saying, hey, we won't charge you a transaction fee. Yeah, it's just, just a pay feature. The $29 a like month. Just, just pay for a convert kit and, and you get payments for next yes. to nothing like, or something right. like that. Right. Now, here's the thing. What you should keep in mind, if you're going into the payments game, what you should keep in mind is the money you're making off transaction fees right now is not static. It improves over time. Right. Exactly. Like, like volume grows over time, right? Like that, that's the... Yes, and, and, and a key factor that I didn't learn for a while is that you can make money without your customers paying for it. And, and that's, that really, really helps the equation because let's just say you decide to, to just charge 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month, right? Only subscriptions. And then you get your 2.9% that you pay for Stripe and you are telling the market, I'm not adding any transaction fee to that. At some point when your volume gets big enough into the millions of dollars per month, you then go to Stripe, you go to these other payment processors and say, all right, I'm looking to sign exclusively with a payment processor. What can you do for me? And that's when you can start to get into 10, 15 basis points from the payment processor that they'll pay you. And so it remains 2.9%, but now you're carving out 15 basis points out of that and you're getting revenue, and then you do have the ability for your revenue to flex upward as your merchants make more money while still claiming, honestly, that you only charge a flat subscription fee. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. I like it. It makes me even more stressed about how slow we are to build our current features because I want to build all this shit. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, payments, man. The, the payment flow is wild. The, That's this- one of the big ones on our on our very... Not very near, but it, but this year roadmap, because it, it keeps coming up in every every request, every conversation I have about the product. That's that's the next thing they want. Can I ask you your your thinking on how to build that? Do you default to Stripe checkout, Stripe elements? I default to it, but I haven't dug into it yet. I, I have started to hear about and talk to some folks about alternatives to that. There is some friction in Stripe checkout because it sort of requires, I think them to create their own Stripe account as they get set up? You can do different models. You can do different models. You can be the Stripe account and everyone uses your connect or you can use Stripe connect to allow people to connect their own accounts. Yeah. And I'm only gathering feedback and a little bit of light research at this stage. We haven't started launching payments yet, but that's coming this year. I'm listening and I'm looking around. Um, And what what I'm doing when I'm listening is I'm hearing 
it's first of all, it's just the number one request from everyone who's looking at what we're building. Like, okay, this is all great. And then I'm going to need the ability to sell all that stuff. So that's, cool. that's a constant. That's exciting. That's exciting. But then there's a mix of like, I want to be able to plug in my own Stripe or my own PayPal or my own whatever. And then there's another group who, who just wants it to be totally seamless built in. I'm sort of open to the idea of offering, I'm just looking at options. I'm like, how do we offer both? Or how do we offer a completely white labeled payment solution? So like they don't need to go register uh, their own, but generally I, 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 I start out by defaulting to Stripe Connect. That that would be my first choice. And then I figure out like, what are the limitations or the gaps that we can't fill with that? You know? Yep. You got to do your research because, right, you have the technical implications. You probably shouldn't build everything at once. You should launch with one version of it, one way to do it, right? Sign up and you have an account and you're done or use Stripe Connect and connect your existing Stripe account if you don't have one. But there are a lot of factors like, Everybody loves net new, right? If you're sending Stripe net new customers that don't have a Stripe account yet, they will love you and pay you. Braintree, for example, is super aggressive, right? They, they have Daddy, they have PayPal as their holding company that owns them. They're not into losing the Stripe over the last few years. And so they are very aggressive on partnerships and pricing and rev share. So yeah, but I'm, I'm sure we'll talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost, I mean, I've already talked about it here, but I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it is several months away for us. Okay, cool. I feel like I keep talking about the same thing, but the, the thing is all of our features now that we're building just in general are slower to, to ship because of the, the code base has grown. Our, our testing process is much more complex now. Every feature we build is intertwined with all the other features we've already built. So like, there's just a, it's slower to get new features out the door than it was a few months ago. And we're building like really big, like, so we just shipped threads, which is a big one. Ever, everyone was waiting for that and getting some good feedback on that. I'm trying to ship workflows this week before I, before my next trip. It's this added stress of like things take longer and we're currently in this like state of flux between I know exactly what we need to build, the roadmap, the priority order. There's going to be a bigger launch later this year in terms of like the new version of the product. And we're not there yet. And we need to, and like there, there are things that need to be shipped in order to get there. And it's just frustrating. Like, and so I, I am looking at the list of things like what can we trim out? What can we reorder in terms of uh, priority order to get there faster and there are things that I can do, but then there, then it's also frustrating. Like, yeah, let's just ship this coming up next because everyone's asking for it. But technically, in the product, we can't ship it until we ship these other two things okay. because they're intertwined. You know, so you're you're in a more complex situation right now around product development. The features you're building aren't so incremental. There's there's some big new stuff. We were in that similar position for a long time and are now getting the dividends for that focus. So one of the things that's happened over the last few months at the leadership level between myself and Rock and Jessica is six months ago, I would come to them with an idea and they would say, it's a great idea. Please don't make me do that right now. 
we're trying to get XYZ done because we have customers that want it and the team needs it. And you said you wanted it. So please don't do that right now. <laughs> it gets frustrating because I, then I start to feel like helpless. I'm like, well, well, you know, I'm, this is what I can do. I can come up with good ideas that I think address the market needs. And we just focused on that for a very long time. And now the foundation feels much more stable. What that has created is a scenario where I'm going to Rock and Jessica and saying, here's my idea for an experiment. I want to integrate ACH. And they're like, we got 20% of the sprint ready for you. So it's now all of a sudden things feel faster, but it was legit like a year of just like, we got no room, we got no time. If you want that, you'll push this other thing. You've identified that other thing as higher priority. Are you sure you want to do it? No, didn't think so. And that's, you know, it's kind of lame. It feels like you're in a few months of that on like, well, it just has to go slower than I want it to. And I can't move fast on ideas and it's just how software works. Yeah. I'm trying to like retrain my, the sense of estimating when, when we're going to ship this. Like whenever I start a big new feature, like right now we're shaping another big feature. It's in like step one of the long process of, of starting to build and then, and then ship. So whenever I'm in this, like just starting it off, starting to shape it, I always have a rough idea in my mind. Like, yeah, I think this, this should ship by mid February. Right. But like the last two or three things we blew past that by at least a month, maybe okay. two months. Okay. So you have to, you, know, you have to recalibrate. I, I just have to recalibrate like my expectations on everything. Like the, it used to be like default to between two and four weeks. Now it's like default to like six to eight weeks. And and maybe we'll we'll be a little bit faster than that, and maybe we'll be a bit slower. Like it's it's just everything is is more intertwined, plus a lot more testing now. You know, mm -hmm. so Tough. fun stuff. Fun uh, yeah, stuff. I, I I sympathize. Another thing that happened this week, I can't get into too many details because we have like plans with it. But I, I'm going to ask you. Yeah, um, I got another thing that I want to talk about with it, that like I could sort of talk vaguely about okay. it without talking about the thing. I, I feel like that's going to be the theme for us for, yeah, for a lot sorry, of stuff this year. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, okay, but I, I can get specific enough where it's, it's kind of valuable to other people. Okay, we have more time on our hands and we have more budget on our hands right now. We stopped, we stopped spending money on ads and we determined that we should spend that money on content. And when we think about what type of content, because we want to go harder in the headless direction – this year, we're thinking content is like technical content, where the result is like teaching people, here's a template, here's code, here's a snippet, here's a starter theme, like so like these tangible things that help. So we had this idea. I said, okay, let's build a store in this new way. On Twitter, like I had this great argument with someone about what headless means. So right, someone just wrote, is headless worth it for a Shopify store? And then of course the, the reactions are like 95%, absolutely not, I've heard horrible things, it's not worth the complexity, right? So I kind of feed off that, I'm like, here's the thing, if you're trying to go headless, don't do it on Shopify, it's just not meant for it. Now, saying that is real close to worthless. The, I think the only thing that's valuable is showing people how to do it, right? Telling people, cool, showing people, much cooler. So that's our thinking. All right, we're going to go do this. We're going to go build a store with a front end like Next.js or Pack Digital or Builder.io or something. We're going to connect it to the Rally Checkout and we're going to connect it to Swell on the back end or BigCommerce or one of these other platforms that we integrate with. YouTube it at every step. 
exactly your, right. Your developers or whoever like screencasts on every yes. step of building it. Exactly right. So I, I look at that and like, that's actually the perfect content marketing force. Like, here's how we did it. Here's a video. Here's the starter theme. Here's the deploy code, the unversell, like just all the stuff that, you, so you can do it yourself. So that was my thinking, which I like. I'm, I'm happy about that. What, what happened this week is that we came across someone that we work with these UX consultants, but we've worked with them for like two years. So they're like part of the team. Like they have equity, like they're like really part of the team, but they're not full-time employees. So we have a very close relationship with them and they kept getting requests for marketing design, right? Not just UX design, but marketing design from us and other clients. So they, they went out and found a marketing designer. So, so like the, marketing design, you mean like marketing sites, like, like landing pages, like yes, designing yes, more, ads exactly right. stuff like Yes, that. more stuff like that, like a quick video, a like blog post image, like just stuff like that. So they go out and find someone and I reach out to him and I'm like very excited that you're kind of, you know, joining the effort. We'll look forward to working with you. This guy just starts coming up with ideas, man. <laughs> like, like amazing ideas. This guy's an idea machine. What he introduced into our thinking is, is more creativity overall in marketing, but to, to look at an idea like, hey, we're going to build a site and tell people how to do it, show people how to do it. He kind of injected the thinking around pulling references from pop culture, like things that are happening in the news right now and that people are searching for and talking about. And pulling that in, and instead of building a website that shows people how to build an e-commerce store headless, give it a theme with something from pop culture happening right now, and then use that to get attention. And that umbrella of attention, because it can go much bigger, faster, the, and if the it thing, has the something- The thing is you can, you can reach a higher volume faster that's, that way. That's right. And that like buys you the attention that you can then show people what you actually want to show them. Hmm. I mean, I, I could see how the volume play would work, but like, how does that actually connect a lead for the product? <laughs> there, there is a challenge in connecting it, right? You, you, mm -hmm. you do need to connect it, but attention is valuable in and of itself. Yeah. In, in, and also, in what does some... it look like? Like, how, how, how would you connect news or pop culture to building okay. a headless so e-commerce store? That's that's what you're going to have to wait on. <laughs> okay. That's the thing that <laughs> yeah. we're not talking about. Okay. Yes. But so what I, what I did with that is first I got excited and then we started riffing and we have like 10 different ideas. Like, okay, so we're just going to grab an idea. So what I did was I put together like this, like squad, almost like this, like special projects squad. So we have one developer that we love and he loves what we're doing that we've known and talked to for months. He's in our Slack. He's like a friend now. So he's a developer. And so the designer is going to create stuff. Chris is going to build it. And then our marketing team is going to amplify it and hand it off to our PR team to try to push it out as, as, as stories. So we have like this like four person squad. And I'm like, this feels like a better use of our budget than ads. Yeah. But, I, but just getting back to the core thing that you were just saying a second ago about building a full headless e-commerce store experience that can like continue to go deep. Like it, it can become a complex store, like do all the things that a, that a high, that, that a full e-commerce store would want to be doing, like literally build one. And that's a, that's a whole library of content 
that you can create there. Endless. That's right. Hey, we want to build a landing page. What does that look like? Hey, we want to connect it to directly to an email. What does that look like? We want to do subscriptions. What is it's just it's endless. Yeah. And it's content that you can inject into those Twitter debates. Like anytime Threadless comes up, you have the definitive guide. Right. To how to build it. Yeah. But what about this piece? Well, we've got uh, video number six on that. One, right. right? Or right it costs you know? 250 grand. And we're like, well, we did it for, you know, $400. So I'm really excited about just the next six months of doing this. And I am pretty interested in that, like, more creative approach to it around borrowing from pop culture and trying to inject that story as long as we can connect it properly and it's not just like you yeah. know, ridiculous. But it also still needs to be evergreen. Maybe use the pop culture stuff to to market it and, and get popularity for it. But the core content that lives on YouTube or whatever should, you know, because I, I feel like a lot of these businesses that sell to technical people, developers and stuff, like their best marketing is this evergreen content because technical people Google for they Google solutions. For solutions. That's right. You know, that is like the top, top of funnel lead lead source for most of those businesses i feel like this is another one of those vague things but it's sort of on my mind lately as i'm so i'm like in the call it the shaping process on a couple of or like one or two really big features or changes in the product that's one thing and then also like planning a new website redesign and kicking off that process i'm starting to sense that i'm not doing a good job of communicating how significant of a change we are about to embark on in terms of the product and our positioning and what we are and how our stuff works and the use cases and stuff. I have a super clear sense of all that. You know, I've talked to customers, I've got it, I've talked about it here, I talk about it to my advisors. This level, talking to you about it, talking to my, my mastermind group, we all have a know where this ship is headed and, and how significant of a change it is. But my actual developers who are working on the product every day with me or or a designer who's collaborating with me on the on the website, like I I think I sort of like didn't spend enough time really communicating up front, like, look, a lot of stuff that we've built before, we're we're gonna kinda refactor or change or undo or think about this completely differently because we are a different product now going forward. And I haven't fully messaged that internally. And so what, what that's resulting in is like, I'm finding that like when I explain an, or scope out a new feature that we're planning, there are more rounds than usual for me to clarify, like, no, it, it can't work that way because we have to think completely differently about how our customers use this feature. Then we're not just that, but that, that we were before this feature is going to be used in a completely different way now. So it's like a, a different design approach, like like today, like I had to like really like just re-clarify why, why we need to refactor the database structure in this way. And it's my fault because I didn't, I've spent so many hours clarifying this new direction with customers, but like I have not matched those hours with my internal team. You know, I, I'm sort of just like made the decision. Here's what we're doing. Let's go. And it's like, yes. what? <laughs> you have all yeah. the background. So you don't need the clarification. It's, it's a funny thing, right? It's like. At first, I thought you were worried about like the marketing side and the changes publicly. Like, are they going to communicate that strongly enough? That's not really what you're worried about. Well, that that's that is like what I want to end up with, and I okay. want to make okay. sure that we end up there by we all know what Being what we're clear. building toward. Yeah, yeah. I sympathize with that. 
that comes out as a problem for me in disparate conversations. So I'm like, this person I told, they got it. And then I don't realize that, well, that was like four people in a meeting, but not, not everyone. The way we try to solve that is A, in the product specs and in like the feature docs in Jira, like it's pretty damn clear what the point is and why. So the developer building it, when they're looking over the spec, like they're reading, hey, remember, this is what this feature does. Here's how people use it. And here's why they're interested in it. So th at that level, it does need to be clear. But like directionally, like looking up at like basically the leader of the company and, and looking to them as like, well, which direction are you pointing us at? We do, we do monthly standups, excuse me, all hands. And one of the things we do at all hands at the very beginning of the meeting, you know, I say, welcome to rallies all hands for January, 2023. Here's the agenda, just like normal. We're going to talk about company updates, then team updates. Then we're going to do some highlights and we'll look at, you know, engineering and then we'll finish up with some fun stuff. And then the next slide is as a reminder, this is what our mission is. Yeah. This is what we're this doing. Is the North Star. Yep, exactly right. And then the next slide, we came up with this visual analogy for what we do. Because we found people were confused just like our investors are confused, right? A really big story broke this week in the Wall Street Journal about a bunch of banks like JP Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Capital, these big banks. They are all coming together to build a digital wallet to compete with like Apple Pay and PayPal. I mean, as big of news as it gets in the payments world, because those banks can still use Visa MasterCard rails, meaning the existing credit cards people have in their wallets right now can be used in this wallet and payment processing would be less than the two, normal 2.9%. So like, you know, I tweeted about, it, I called it like the war on interchange intensified type of a thing. Okay, our investors see that and they email me like, what are we gonna do about this? I'm like, guys, <laughs> that's something we need to integrate with. That's not a competitor. And so we found that to be a difficult concept for our team also. We made like this corny little graphic of Rally as a train station and the different payment rails are not our competitors. As long as the rail's going through our train station, we're happy. You know, and it was like, it's like this corny, ugly graphic, but I'm like, remember, we're the train station. We happily build rails. We're, Whatever uh, people want to use make their rail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> However people want to get to where they're going, we're cool with it. We'll build it for them. So that plus ad nauseum repetition is like the only, the only thing. And I'm sure people are sick of me repeating myself on why we're doing certain things and what my thinking is, but I don't. I, I don't did a, I did a brief internal update to the, to the folks that I work with just a couple of weeks ago around the turn of the year, like just to give you a quick high level update on like all the changes that are coming and. And I, I did that, but I feel like that, that wasn't enough. The other thing that I, that I changed or improved in our product dev cycle now is we started doing this a few months ago. We use GitHub issues and like GitHub's issues board view, like a Kanban. That's how we manage the, the queues for each of my developers, right? All the details for the, for the product, for the feature that we're building go into there. And then we have a really long comment thread as we build the feature. But I added a shaping phase at the, at the front of that, which happens in notion. So it's like, I'll basically draft the requirements for the feature in notion. And then my developer and I have like a really detailed 
poking holes in the in the tech or like asking like why are we building it this way and like and I'm giving a lot of example use cases like literally like coming up with real user examples of like how they're going to be using this um, and my developers have been doing a, a much better job at like asking for that like a lot of times they'll they'll look at the requirements and say like I think I see what you're saying technically but like can you give me a, a real world use case example for like why why is it designed that way and and that really helps them so I've been writing those more and then and then we just like we cross things out, we rearrange things in Notion, then we like kind of lock in the requirements, and then I transfer it into GitHub, and we and we go. You know that that's been the, the process. Do you do sprint kickoffs? We're so small, and like that, we don't have like one of those like rigid like six week cycles or two week cycles or anything like that. The kickoff for us is like if it's a big new feature, I again I put it in Notion first, and we'll spend a week or week and a half just shaping in there, and then. Like today, we just locked in from that. So, so today, I copied and pasted into GitHub, and then it's super simple. We just have a queue. Like I have two developers and me, and each of my developer has their own queue, and I just order it, and they pick off the, the issue at the top. And a lot of times, that that issue lasts eight weeks, you know, because it's a big feature. But yeah, they they like drag it over to the in progress list. Right. That yeah. I think right. The benefit of that is speed, like flexibility clarity and so on what it doesn't afford you is the opportunity for like a little bit of like why, why does this matter drama yeah we do pretty formal sprints we have some fun with it so we'll do like 80s movie sprint and we're like all right the top gun sprint you know and and like we'll do fun but do you have like concurrent that. sprints because you have a, a much larger tech team than i do are you developing more than one feature at a time yes yes but, but you're all, saying it, it you're saying all those sprint. fit within the sprint. Yes. Yes. See that that's, that's where I I I could see how that might work later, but like right now we are working on two different features right now. But one will ship in 6 weeks, the other will ship in 10 weeks. I don't know how to organize that without just having it on two separate tracks. That that's Jessica's domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but what it does afford us is that opportunity to say we are kicking off the 80s movie sprint. Mm -hmm. This is the theme. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we're hearing from our merchants. So that gives you like an opportunity to reiterate things. You know, drama works. Calling a timeout and saying, I want everyone to get together on Tuesday. Let's find a time. And having, hey, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. I'm sensing a little bit of, of us being off. And let's just take this 30 minutes and talk about what we're trying to do. I'll say what we should be focused on and then everyone can ask questions like that, like timeout works because it kind of shakes people out of their day to day and allows them to ask some of those questions that maybe they're like, eh, it's not that important. I'll just keep going. Yeah. You know, because I, as I talked about, like we're basically 100 percent asynchronous. That could be like the, the one spot where maybe we just add in a synchronous like live call. You know, just to kick off a sprint, like even though we've hashed out all the technical details in the requirements, like we already know what we're what we're going to build. Maybe we we'll just do a quick call just to like sort of lock it all in, get some live FaceTime. And then you never know like what new questions might pop up that wouldn't show up in a written comment in GitHub. Yes. You know? yes. I, I feel like one of the most important things that I've developed over the last few years is to spot out any chance of not being on the same page one word that's a little off 
and I and I, it, my radar goes up, and I don't know if people get sick of it or what, but I will ask the question like a three-year-old, and I will reiterate, just so we're a hundred percent clear, you're saying that the trade-off for this feature on this platform means that we can't do this like we do it on this other platform. Is that right? And then they'll they'll correct me a few degrees one way or another. Yep. And that, yeah, I mean, like, I, I usually do the same thing, but in like written text form. Yes. Yes. Know? But it's um, like, but precision. But yeah, you never know. Yeah. Precision. Yes. Even today, like, like, again, I had to go through like an extra round of clarification. I did the text thing like twice. And then, and then I recorded a zip message to like really hone in on like, this is, this mm-hmm. is what we're doing. And it's a challenge as a native English speaking American to almost in almost force precision in language on non-native speakers. I mean, we run into that too. My, yes. My and, and, and it's like, but that, that's also why we lean heavily on written because they're like fluent in English written. True. You know, that, that's right. Which, yeah. which is good. And it's like not being rude, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking you to correct your grammar. I'm asking you to be more precise in how you're describing something because any room that we mess up between us means you're going to, you know, bad things are going to happen. You're going to have to go back and rewrite something. You're going to have to do this. It's going to be a little off from what it should be. Yep. Yeah. But the main thing that is just entering my mind now is that like, I'm no- I'm starting to notice in multiple places in both product dev and even in like the design process for the new, it's like other, the people that I'm working with still retain some like assumptions of the old world view that we had as a product. Like, zip message for the last two years, these, these things mattered. And in my mind, like there are certain things where like going forward, like that doesn't matter anymore. We're, this is a whole new world we live in, you know, and like, right. I'm already there, but like the people that I'm working with aren't quite. Yeah. You, you almost need to be on the lookout for like old thinking. Like if you're thinking about that type of customer in this context, like we need to call a little timeout because that's not, that's not what we're doing anymore or we're not looking in that direction. I love this stuff because it's it's adding value through like communication. Mm-hmm. Yep. We found enough to ramble about for, for yeah. An episode, put, so. put another pod in the. Let's call it out to our audience. It seems like we are able to record more episodes weekly now. That means we don't have as much new shit to talk about. So <laughs> whatever you got, hit us up on Twitter and tell us what you want us what you want us to talk about so that we actually have some material to work with <laughs> and whatever people come up with I'm I'm game I'm game I think it's fun right now to be more aggressive take more risks care less of what other people think like we're we're going after our competitor hard man it's just we sense vulnerability we heard they were doing a price increase so we're reaching out to all their customers it's like you know, a year ago, it felt like the pie was infinite and growing, and now things feel much more zero sum, and it's a little nasty. But every once in a while, that's that's what's called for. Yeah, I mean, I'm psyched to to see the developer content get fired up. You know, I think that's a really really good direction for what you're doing. You know? Yeah, what I'm hoping is that that has its own track. That's basically my like special projects, <laughs> and that way it minimally impacts our development team but we can keep rolling things out every week every month just on an ongoing basis yeah Yeah. that's that's the plan love it all right all right man until next time have a great weekend later